understanding that money is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's not a bad thing. It's what do you do with the money? And because I personally want to do more good in the world, then I want to make as much money as possible because I'm going to give it back. Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid, the podcast for OT entrepreneurs, where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you want to know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams, a Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, an occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my 40s, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses, including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret shame that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OTs making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome, OT entrepreneurs, to episode 87 of the OT's Get Paid podcast. Today, we're talking about building wealth through multiple income streams as an OT with a special guest. Let me see if I can guess where your mind is at. Trish, I get paid an OT salary. That's good. But sometimes I want more. Or, okay, okay, Trish, I'll start a business. And whatever is left over at the end of the day, in this business, after expenses and taxes, I'll pay myself. Maybe you've taken a little step further and you've even leaned into some percentages that you might have heard of from Profit First and decided to pay yourself about 50% of the gross revenue in your company. And you're beginning to start to understand how you can draw down on profit. And you're keeping an eye on that profit margin. Hmm. But what else? There are many of you out there who will resonate with this next topic, and that is having multiple streams of revenue as an occupational therapist. Now, I'm not going to lie. There is a ton of hustle in this next story. And as you know, if you've been listening for any time, that's not what I promote in growing and scaling your OT businesses. And yet, this is a platform for many of us to recognize ourselves in. And you will hear lots that may sound familiar. There are many, many, many OT entrepreneurs out there that have thousands of ideas and they want to implement it all. 
I'm very pleased that our next guest says that this is not always advantageous. I also want to highlight that our guest figured this out along the way. At a current point in time, she now focuses on her net worth and they live, she and her family, off of one income, which is her husband's and her investments, revenues, profits, etc., generate wealth and they don't have any debt. As well, let's not forget an important piece of this. Our guest's ancestors were hustling out of slavery and into entrepreneurship. She claims the family is wired in a certain way and that shows up how she behaves, especially as she climbed her way out of poverty as a black woman in the Southern United States. I can't even imagine. Today, we have Dr. Tamiko Faison. I keep wanting to say that the French Canadian way. <laughs> Ce n'est pas Dr. Faison. Say it is Dr. Tamiko Faison. And she identifies herself as a wealthy woman and a woman of God and a wife and a mother and a serial entrepreneur, an author, a professor, a speaker, and a real estate investor. She is the CEO of Therapeutic Solutions the CEO of Low Vision Rehab Solutions, and the CEO of Faison Consulting. She's also the founder of a podcast, Therapy Entrepreneurs and Leaders of Color, with Dr. Douglene Jackson. And Dr. Faison is the author of Amazon number one bestseller, OT book, The 10 Simple Steps to Independent Contracting. And as you heard, she's also a faculty member, and she right now is at the new Duke OTD program, focusing on the recruitment and retention of students from underrepresented groups. Her mission, it's a biggie, is to help 1 million entrepreneurs and leaders by partnering with therapists, organizations, and institutions to increase therapy business ownership and innovative therapy programs globally. And she firmly believes in living a life of wealth and independence. And here she is. Welcome to Miko. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So as we said in the introduction, you are a woman of many hats. So let's dive into it. Tell the audience, how do you get paid? Meaning, tell us about yourself and what you do. Yeah, I think that was a good descriptor. A woman of, did you say many hats? I did. Many hats. Yeah, so I have actually been describing myself a little bit differently recently because typically, you know, in the past, I've described myself in terms of what I do, but I'm going to start with who I am. And so I believe that I'm a spirit in a physical body that's here temporarily and that I have some awareness of uh, here temporarily as in earth, some awareness of callings and purpose and assignments. And those, there are many assignments and callings, and I, I get paid by answering those callings. Um, there are seven generate seven streams of revenue that I get paid from. So contracting, which has been, I've had a long history of contracting with local, state, and government entities, consulting with agencies and therapists, coaching therapists. Educating. I'm an assistant professor at Duke University. Shout out to Duke OTD. Uh, Trish was a guest in our entrepreneur class a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, I write, I publish on Amazon using KDP. I am a real estate investor and also bill insurance for some non-traditional uh, services, low vision rehab and people with mental health diagnoses in the community. I can speak for the audience when I say I'm feeling a little schlubby right now. <laughs> I'm feeling, okay, let's just preface, this is not a competition, listeners, because I'm feeling a little schlubby myself. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a lot to take in, and I love highlighting you, Tomiko, because what I know about our OT entrepreneurship population is they are doers and they are visionaries and they are people mainly women people who identify to that female experience who have tons and tons of ideas and want to go in many many directions now i do want to preface this by saying and this is the most greatest thing about having a podcast and living in a democracy is that my one of my pillars is actually about mastery it's about focusing on one thing. In fact, in my coaching programs, I talk about that a lot. Like, let's leave the squirrelness behind. Let's begin to focus. And yet, this is a great platform for you to share how you've made it work for you. So I love that we are coming, you know, I, I'm going to call out my bias ahead of time and still <laughs> lean into like having a great conversation because, you know, there, there are other examples of how this works. So then let's get, let's talk a little bit about the income and the impact. Tell me about what your income is going to be for this year and what you want it to be going forward. You know, it's an interesting question, uh, Trish, because we, we operate in a very uh, debt-free way in terms of our lifestyle. And so I looked up one day and I thought about how I grew up in poverty and how we were able to make it and how much money I was making and wasting. And also a financial advisor helped me as well. And I am in a, at a point where I actually don't have to have to work. And so I still generate all this revenue, but I don't necessarily take salaries from the, the companies. Um, I may take dividends, but don't, I don't need a salary um, at this point. So in terms of what I want the companies to generate, um, this year, we hope to generate around uh, 700000 between two of them. And this is after, after a pandemic. So <laughs> before the pandemic, we were in a much better place. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic hit and it was basically like starting, starting over. So I think we did well considering. Um, and then the next year, a million dollars between these are mostly coming from Therapeutic Solutions, which is a company that focuses on serving people with mental health diagnoses and then Low Vision Rehab Solutions, which is a company that serves people who have um, visual impairments in their homes. So I do want to dig into each of your callings. I thought that was beautifully said. Thank you. And. I also want to pull out some numbers for right now in terms of, so I'm assuming then that you are living off of the revenue that you're generating from real estate and the profit 
that's coming from therapeutic solutions and low vision. Is that correct? Or, or maybe even additionally, are you pouring your salaries and your take-homes back into an investment account and then pulling it out pulling and living off of the interest of, of one giant account? Well, so because, so, you know, if you don't have debt, you don't need a lot of revenue to live. So I can yeah. really live off of just what my husband works to pay our, we do have a mortgage. We do have um, debt that is revenue generating. So we have a mortgage, but like, I don't have a car payment. I don't have school loan debt. I don't have other debts. And so we we said, hey, we probably could live off of like $4,000. My husband can easily generate that as a counselor. He does practice as a counselor. I do work full-time at Duke University. I do have revenue coming in from um, from the real estate. And honestly, a lot of it is I'm able to have a lot of luxuries because if something were to happen and Duke shut down and all the companies shut down because I don't have debt, I can go work at McDonald's if I wanted to or I could do nothing. Um, so I don't really take a lot of money out of the the other companies and like living off of money from those companies. Um, and sometimes I don't take really much from the real estate. And so I'm not building. That's all asset building, and essentially you're living off of your husband's counseling salary, which I'm assuming comes from one of your companies. That is therapeutic that's, solutions. Is that yeah, correct? that is accurate. Yeah, so it does. Okay. So, but he also has a separate counseling company. Of course he does. <laughs> Why would we stop eleven? We're ridiculous. We're ridiculous. Yeah, he has a he has transformational behavioral health because he got credentialed with some insurances that I didn't want to get credentialed with. So with insurance, um, it's interesting because some insurances that pay very well for counseling don't pay very well for OT. You actually do better if you're out of network versus in network. Mm -hmm. So he started his company, Transformational Behavioral Health. There was actually also a moratorium on some insurances that for him to, to do counseling with that I was already credentialed with. So when the pandemic came and there was a, a huge increase in referrals for him as a black male, all of a sudden, I think between like George Floyd being murdered, a pandemic, there was just like this just huge amount of referrals that we started getting, uh, specifically requesting him as a black male, like that they would say that. That's one of the reasons why they were reaching out to him and the moratorium was lifted. And then he said, well, hey, a lot of these referrals that are coming in are with insurances that you are already credentialed with. Mm -hmm. And so that's how he started doing some of the work through therapeutic solutions. But he still has, he predominantly, um, he had predominantly been doing the counseling through transformational behavior, but he does do some through therapeutic solutions. Amazing. So that is a very aspirational place to be. And I do need to preface this by saying, I am not an American, and I am very white. And yet, so I, I preface it ahead of time by saying that understanding that my experience is very different from your experience. So when I begin to lean into that or ask questions about that, you know, if I don't do it in the proper or right way, that is not because of you know what? I'm willing to share a platform with everybody, people that want to be on this platform. And yet I'm also savvy enough to know I might not do it perfectly. And I know that there's a great deal of tension and importance surrounding race in the United States that I don't live with every day. 
So I've followed it. I mean, I'm I'm an educated, you know, woman. And so I think I'm asking for a little grace. If we lean into this and I'm not asking the questions in the right way or the perfect way, I, I hope that's okay with you. And I hope that's okay with the listeners because I'd rather have conversations around it or not ignore it and realize that I might not do it perfectly anyways. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, I appreciate it. We talk about being comfortable while you're uncomfortable. And exactly. not everybody is okay with that. But I think exactly. it's the only way to grow is to have the uncomfortable conversations. Exactly. And so, you know, one of the the people that I follow or really respect is Rachel Rogers. Do you follow any of her? I'm familiar with her, but I'm okay. So she has a she has a platform. She's a lawyer turned business coach, and she has a great book called "We Should All Be Millionaires." And her platform is about raising black women to seven figures because she says six figures isn't actually good enough if mm. you really want to live in the world. Plus, there's something very hey Trish, yes Ashley. As an OT entrepreneur who's just starting to make money, I bet you've thought, oh my gosh, I just got my first few clients. What the heck do I do now? Don't worry. At Therabyte, we have you covered. We heard you and we created intake and consent templates just for you. So you've downloaded the template and now you can say, amazing, I know exactly how to get my clients started. Oh, I wish I'd had this in the beginning. I pulled everything together and needed something this efficient. Okay. So where can listeners find these templates, Ashley? Super easy. The link will be in the show notes. You just hop over to our website, find templates, and you've got your download. Sounds great. I use the word aspirational and I'm sure there's much, much better words. Everybody that's like a DIY, a DEI expert right now is like, no, use better words. However, you know, there is something very important about coming from poverty having an incredibly, you know, a past of marginalization, a present of marginalization that, as I said, I can't begin to understand. And Rachel Rogers has really elevated that conversation in terms of an American Black female, especially. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to lose the tone of that as we're talking. And yet, I don't have the skills to make that the center of the conversation. But I think it's really interesting that and we can't we can't skip over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then as you let's let's go back to the beginning, Tariko. Like there's a story that I don't understand. And that is how does a young black girl like yourself, who has said they've grown up in poverty, get here? Uh, I hope I'm a woman now, but I'll start with Yeah, me. I'm thinking about when you were younger, your <laughs> girl experience. Yeah I, yeah, I tell the story all the time that growing up in poverty, um, it actually was a catalyst to me becoming an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So I did really well in math in school. I was gifted in math. I started doing like competitions in math, and I had a principal say to me one day, you keep doing well in school because I didn't really well on a standardized test, but you're going to be rich. And so being in poverty and being a, uh, our, our road was integrated into a predominantly white and wealthy school. I knew I was poor. You know, some people say, we didn't really know we were poor. We were like, I knew I was poor. <laughs> I've heard that before. Yeah, you're like, I knew. Was, a lot of people around us were wealthy. And so I wanted 
I wanted some of the things that they had. Like I didn't get to go on field trips. I had to stay back because we didn't, we couldn't afford it. And my parents, my grandmother, my mom, they cleaned the houses of some of the people that I went to school with. I was embarrassed of. And so when she said, you can be wealthy, I was like, okay. I'm sure she was thinking about when I got older, when I became a woman. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> so I started saying that I could babysit in middle school. I said I could babysit, but I also said I have something different because I can teach math. Like I understand math and a lot of people are struggling in math and I can explain it in a way that other people can understand. And I sometimes would sit my sister, my younger sister down and say, let's play school. And I would teach her things. And she's like, oh yeah, now I understand it. And so it started with that, uh, that I said, oh, I realized I actually have a skill that I can help someone and then it can bring in money because it did bring in. It, it matched at the time we were on public assistance. And the amount that I made, like my first, I won't say check, because she counted it out in cash in front of everybody and everybody was staring with wide eyes, was the exact same amount as the check that we got for public assistance. What a moment. And so later, I just continued to experiment with entrepreneurship. I sold Avon. I um, I did Finger Hut. I had like all these different things that I was trying to figure out how to make money and realize that money is like, there's an abundance of money in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to, you have to figure it out and you have to press. Like when we sold Avon, my sister and I, we didn't have a car. So we walked door to door knocking. Do you want to buy some Avon? Nope. Do you want to buy some Avon? Nope. Door slam, door slam, door slam. And we did that for days. And then one day we knocked on a door and a lady was so excited to see us. She said, I've been looking for an Avon person. My Avon person stopped selling Avon. Come sit down. And she had, I don't know why, she had a lot of people like living on her land she opened up the book and she just ordered hundreds of dollars <laughs> worth of stuff. And she's like, she sustained the business for a long time. And it gave us, you know, some motivation to be able to continue to knock on other doors and other people would buy. But we, you know, we, we developed grit from that. Mm-hmm. So that's where it started. I don't know if you wanted me to go into the OT, like how I got into entrepreneurship. Oh yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. It's your forum. It's your story. So, Keep going. So I knew I wanted to go to college too, because people were telling me I should be going to college. I should be a doctor. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went with that because that's what they said I needed to do. I loved marketing in high school. It was my favorite subject. I was on the whole committee for, for marketing. I was like, I think I want to major in marketing. And um, someone in my family said, don't do that because you don't know if you'll get a job. But if you do healthcare, you'll always get a job. So I said, okay, I'll do, I'll become an MD. But got to college, did not, knew quickly that I didn't want to get an MD. Um, ended up in Allied Health as an x-ray tech after someone x-rayed me because I had a kidney stone. And I was like, oh, you're an x-ray student? I'll do that. That sounds like something where I can get a job. It's not as long as going to med school. When I got in x-ray school, I took classes with OT Mm because the Allied Health Department had some classes that were interprofessional. But I didn't like OT. I I thought it was strange. Now, it was predominantly white female. Um, Mm -hmm. I also... I just didn't understand why so many people like were knitting and doing crafts and stuff, not, not anything that I was interested in. And I was like, that's just a strange profession. I want to do PT. <laughs> but later I heard an OT talk about working in mental health. And that's when I decided I do want to do OT. I had a lot of interest in behavioral health and mental health just from some personal experience. I was just curious, like, what does an OT do to help people participate in occupations in spite of them having challenges related to mental health? Um, and then when I got into OT school, I said, I'm going to start a business. And everybody said, you can't do that because you need X amount of years of experience. And I 
I did listen to them for two years. I worked at a site facility, but it was just in me. I feel like it's just innate, a gift that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. So once I had my first son, preemie, uh, three months premature is when I decided to um, take the information from my needs assessment from when I was in OT school to market myself as a consultant for group homes to serve people with intellectual disabilities. And after mailing out brochures back in the days, I had to make my brochures with a CD, still in my age here. Um, eventually, a group home, uh, I connected with a group home and I started off with uh, one and then I went to six and then I went, I like it scaled quickly because the group home was part of a franchise, actual a national franchise. I only scaled in North Carolina, but I could have went beyond uh, North Carolina to other states because the company was so big. And then I just, was like, oh, I can make money with a flexible schedule as a mom and I can leverage this because I started realizing that I wasn't really passionate about working with people who had more complex physical disabilities and I leaned more towards people with mental health uh, challenges. I started hiring people. I was like, oh, I don't really prefer working with these folks, but there are other people. So I asked the group homes, can I hire subcontractors? And they said, yes. And and I realized I could contract with the state. I could contract with the federal government. I could contract with schools. So that's how the contract thing started. So that's one of the one of the streams. I hope I answered your question because I feel oh, like yeah. I do have so many different things going on that I can. You answered it talk so for a long time about each one of them. No, I'm so grateful. And this, I'm I'm glad you clarified. This was all in North Carolina. And was this between like because I know you have uh, an OTD from Boston University. Was this happening pre OTD? Yes, all this wow. is pre-OTD. Got it. I just got my OTD in 2021. Right, because so why did wouldn't that, you? I There's, did that in the pandemic. In your, in your downtime. <laughs> I was in the pandemic. You know? I'm like, we don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> we got, I well, got I nothing to do. I've only got seven callings. <laughs> oh, got seven businesses, right? Yeah, I didn't know. And when I signed up for the OTD, I did not know that we were going to go into a pandemic. I was like, 2020 vision, like everybody else, right? 2020, yeah. this is the year. This is the big year. This is my year. <laughs> yeah, this is the year I'm going to get my doctorate. And yeah, as soon as I signed up, like I went to Boston and I got um, very sick, which I don't know if you saw like what was happening in Boston with COVID. It was one of the places where it was initially a lot of people with getting COVID, but oh, okay. I, I don't know if it was COVID or not, but I got very, very sick on my first visit to to Boston to be you for my OTD, and I couldn't even participate. I was so sick. Oh, and I came back, and it's like, oh, this thing called COVID is <laughs> The world is shut down. Yeah. So I wanted to paint a picture of you doing this with like a preemie baby, and you know, you're married to your husband, and you're, you know, in between degrees. And Let's go back to that. So then you did you sell that company or those is that the company that you scaled and then sold? I sold, yeah. I sold I sold the group home contracts, yes. Yeah. And so when did you begin to to add extra things? Was it I'm here, I'm gonna ask a question. I think I know the answer to. Was it linear? Did you finish one thing and then go to the next? Or did you do like a Tamiko pylon? It was, yeah, it was not linear. And I, I do agree with you that you should do one thing and then add another thing. It's so hard for my brain to operate that like mm-hmm. that. So I really had to lean into getting other people to help me. Mm. Who, because not will, how, right? I will, yeah, I will continue to just start new things. And if I yeah. want to go deep, you know, to grow 
vertically. Yeah. I need other people to complement uh, the way I operate. I have really grown horizontally. So I have a lot of different things. Um, fortunately, over time, some of them are deeper. They probably could be a lot deeper um, in terms of like mastery. All of them could probably be multi-seven-figure companies if I stuck with one thing and had the right team to complement me. Um, so I did the group homes. What did that look like? I was able to get up super early in the morning and go to the group homes, do evaluations because the folks at the group homes got up at like five o'clock in the morning to prepare to go to, off to a vocational workshop. So I'd go watch their morning routine and then I would come back home. I'd usually be home by like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. And then I would document from home. And that was pretty much it. I just made my own schedule and worked early in the mornings and then had time with my son and my uh, husband in the afternoons and the evenings. I added contracting with the state. I want to say that was just like maybe a year and a half after I started the group home. And I used to, we used to get this magazine called Advance. I don't know if you remember this that magazine. It was like a, it, it was called Advance and there was one for OTPT speech yeah. and it had job advertisements in the day. Yeah, I, I worked in the States for years and lived in the States for years. So yes, I remember that. So I used to look in the back and just see like, what, what yeah. are the needs right now? And there was a facility that uh, advertised for a long time. I want, It probably was over a year. I was like, they still haven't found an OT for this position and it was in a mental health setting. And so I just reached out to him and said, hey, you haven't found anyone for this position. I had already outsourced the group homework where other contractors were doing that work. And I called the rehab director. I didn't call HR because I knew what they were going to say. Mm-hmm. I called the rehab director who I felt like was the person that could make decisions and was probably stressed out about not having the OT for so long. And I said, could I come in and contract? And at least you would have somebody doing and I could do 15 hours a week so you could be in compliance because, you know, this is a state-funded facility. They're supposed to be required to provide certain services. And she said, well, I think we'll advertise for a little bit longer. And I continued to watch. They still didn't have anyone. And I reached out again. And I said, and when you get your employee, you can, you can cut the contract. So maybe I could just do three months. And then she said, well, we never have had this before. But let me talk to someone and see if we can figure it out. And so I had to send a sample contract and I can't even remember where I got it from, but I sent a sample contract. They modified it and made it much longer, you know, and I signed it and it was 15 hours a week. It grew to 40 hours. Then it grew to 80. I had to bring in other people. And then there was a facility not far from there that also was having the same issue. These were rural facilities. And so the need and willing to, you know, to bring in a contract as opposed to an employee because they didn't have mm-hmm. anyone else. And so, yeah, that's how I started with those ones. And then later I, I would just continue to look. I'd look on Indeed. I'd look in magazines. I'd talk to people. I'd go to conferences, like, where is the need at? And if there was a need and I was able to find a contractor because I was networking and meeting a lot of people and I was meeting OTs who were also moms and want, who wanted similar, like, I want a flexible schedule like that. I still want to be able to contribute financially or have my own income, but I don't want to work 40 hours a week, you know, necessarily. So those are the people that I cater to in terms of hiring. Um, and then people started asking me, how are you doing this? You know, my university, the university I graduated from, like, how are you doing this? We can't figure out what, how are you adding these contracts? How are you working with these underserved populations? And they would ask me to come and speak. And then some people say, well, can you do a workshop on it? 
And I said, oh, I'll do a workshop. And I do the workshop and I said, well, can you help me after the workshop? Or can I buy your manual that you created where I like, I pass out this manual and I'm take it back up at the end. And like, oh, can I buy it? And this is like 20 years ago. People offered me $200 at the end of the workshop. Um, can I buy that manual so I can keep it for reference? And so that's how it was kind of messy. Um, but as I, the more I did, I feel like there were more needs that were being identified and me being me, like, oh, there's a need. Let me see if I can <laughs> feel mm-hmm. the need. You know, I'm hearing this um, duality of owning the entrepreneur spirit that you have and the carrot or the intrinsic drive or whatever you want to call it for making money, which is we love to talk about. That's one of our pillars here, increasing profit. And also it ties into our third pillar, which is increasing impact. Like there, that's what is in your heart, right? And I just feel like I want to highlight that because one of the reasons that I started this brand and my services is because I wanted to take the taboo off the table of OTs wanting to get paid. Like I think, I still think it's a great topic. And because people were almost leaning into, well, all I want to do is help and serve. And we're like, no, no. Yeah, we know that. We got that. Like, I'm a marketing person for a reason. Um, But I hear that so, like, I hear no no tension in that with you. Like, you own both of those pieces. And I love that because I feel like, and we've had a few podcasts before. One was about, like, how we're helpers and there's, like, that Mother Teresa complex and how do you serve and still, you know, decide that you're going to make money. So before we keep talking a bit about your businesses, do you ever find that in conflict with yourself or how do you reconcile that where others might not be able to? I think about that a lot, especially that I grew up, you know, mm. in in poverty and that has been easy for me to make money. It's never been really hard for me to make money. Uh, I, I have had conversations with my husband. I've had conversations with other people who are financially successful and I've just come to an understanding that money is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's good. It's not a bad thing. It's what do you do with the money? Mm-hmm. And because I personally want to do more good in the world, then I want to make as much money as possible because I'm going to give it back. I don't live a super um high lifestyle. I did buy a boat though, Trish. When you came and you talked and you said OTs don't buy a boat. I was thinking <laughs> everybody, everybody turned around and looked this at OT me. does. I like, I'm on a boat. <laughs> okay, you own it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we bought a boat last year. So I do, you know, I do spend some money on some luxuries, but I don't have this desire to have to, just personally. I and I have lived in a place that was uh, a little more luxurious than where I live now, and it didn't really do it for me. It wore off. I did. I was like, yeah, I want all the stuff, and I want people to come in and say, "Ooh, ah, she rich," <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, she has arrived, and it felt really good when. I had that response for a little while and then it wore off. I'm like, this is really not, I started looking at the functionality of the home. I was like, so this is not universal design. <laughs> they should have made this this way. And this, so, this is so big. I can't even get to. So then I realized, what do I really want? If I, if, you know, if no one ever came over to my house, what would I like? What do I, because society puts so much on us in terms of what is important. And so I really had to do some soul searching. It's like, what do I like? What's important to me? What's important to my family. Then I decided, okay, I I thought of, and it, some people helped me with this, thinking of how much money do I need to make to live really comfortable? And one of the things was like, oh, if you pay off your debt, 
you can make four thousand, you can make fifty thousand dollars a year and live great because you don't have any any debt. So our first step was getting rid of the debt and then thinking about how much money do we want to make. And then after that is giving rein, and reinvesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to make, I don't have a ceiling to be quite honest. You know, I, I'm probably making less than what I could make because I am, I do have a 14 year old. Mm-hmm. And so in four or five years, I might say, I want to make $10 million mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the next few years. And it's not for me to buy gold-plated furniture <laughs> or to increase my lifestyle. I like where I live and I might want to get a, like a vacation home. I do like mm-hmm. being in warm weather. So I've thought about living in two different states mm-hmm. when it's really cold and long, which you never know when that will be. But other than that, I don't really have a de- strong desire for a lot more materialistic things. And I don't judge people if that's what they want. Mm-hmm. If you can make the money and that's what you want, so be it. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, I want to make more money so I can do more things. Like I want to be able to fund scholarships. I I used to work at, uh, when I was a student at USC and I used to uh, be one of the people that cold called and asked for donations. You know, people donate millions of dollars, Mm -hmm. $10 million, $5 million. Why can't, why can't I do that? Mm -hmm. What's bad? What's bad about having money and doing more good in the world? And what's bad about being able to bless yourself because you're blessing other people? Well, and that's exactly what the statistics say, that women do different things with their money. Men generally tend to buy boats. All good. (laughs) And, you know, women pour it back into their communities and then their families. And again, I think that that, I'm so glad that I asked this question because that is truly the spirit under which we operate here. And again, it doesn't take away from the fact that you are a helper. The very first, um, I was in charge of the entrepreneurship module at, when I was at McMaster University. And just to show you how things have changed, you now run like a course at Duke about it, but we had one lunch and learn. And mm. they said, Trish, why don't you take this? No, 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 it wasn't McMaster. No, no, no. Was it? Now I'm getting blurred. Maybe it was when I was at the University of Alberta. Anyways, and I remember most of the lunch was me trying to convince the students and they were in a master's program that they should charge for their work. Wow. Like that's where we were, you know, 15 years ago. And now obviously a lot has changed in entrepreneurship and OT. But I always felt like almost something was wrong with me, like that I felt as though making money was great and also helping was great. And why did the two have to be asynchronous? Right. I and I love, I love hearing that that's where you want to go with it. So, you know, I think we're also centering in on a conversation that's about being rich in your words and about having wealth. Mm-hmm. And is that where the concept of beginning to invest in real estate came to you and building companies for profit margins to build wealth? No, I didn't really think a lot about building wealth. I was more a paycheck to paycheck person mm-hmm. in the past because I had not been taught. I didn't really know anything about money because we live we live paycheck to paycheck, and so mm-hmm. I did feel like like I'm rich because I'm making all this money and I can easily make money. And then when I met my first financial advisor, she said, "You broke," <laughs> She's like, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I've said this many times in many stories. I'm like, I. I cannot believe that she said that to me. It was like the worst insult for her to tell me that I was broke when she looked at my financials. 
your net worth. And she said, you don't have a strong emergency fund. Mm. You're not investing. You're not doing this. She was telling me all these things. And she said, she wouldn't even take money from me because she was a, a financial advisor who takes money from people so that they can invest. And she said, you, your stuff is just so all over the place. I'm not even taking money from you. I'm going to We love you. her. Did she, she was talk amazing. I, wish, I wish I could bring her, but she has, she has moved up the ladder. Great talking agent for you. Wonderful. She, she worked with me for a while. And, and I, I still, even after she worked with me for a while, it took me a long time to build a trust because it was just like something that, mm. like, this is not something that we do in my family. Give somebody our money and let them hold our money. And I hear these stories about, oh, lose all your money, you know, one crash and, I was very skeptical. You're like, under my mattress, thank you very much, is a really nice place. Right. And was she a Black woman? She was not. There we go. There we go. I could have called that one. (laughs) I had had high ground rings. Like, what is she trying to do? Oh, my gosh. She worked with me. She she used to be a teacher. And she would pull out her whiteboard, and I would ask a lot of questions, and she would answer all my questions. And We had a plan. It's like, this is the plan. For you to pay off your debt. This was happening, um, you know, close to when we had the recession here in the U.S. Uh, 2009. And she said, you can't buy another house. You can't do another thing until you, you know, get your debt managed, you, that you have a financial plan, and then we'll move forward with investing and doing other things. And so that's how I started having what I call financial literacy. I don't mind saying I felt like I was financially illiterate. Yes. And then we moved a lot because I did have that thing of I had make more money. I should have a nicer place. So like our first house was perfectly fine. 1600 square feet on a half an acre, me, my husband and our one son. And I was like, this doesn't, look like what I generate, like the revenue that I generate. Like I need, I need another place. And I actually remember someone fussing at me like in another language because she was saying oh, how greedy people in America are because she was from a third world country. And I was complaining about 1,600 square feet. So I kept moving. And also I was very comfortable with moving. I moved a lot when I was younger, before we moved in with my grandma. When my parents were together, we got evicted a lot. So it was like always moving, always meeting new people. Um, so moving was just something that I said, I'm just going to do. And I was, we weren't even moving from state to state. It was just like, oh, I want another house. So we're going to move. We'll sell this house that we're in and get a new one. But we weren't able to sell the houses. Mm. So that's how we got into real estate investing. We ended up, well, we can't sell the house. And the bank would say, well, if you can get it rented out, we allow you to have X amount of properties as rentals. Mm as long as you can show us a lease. And so we did that. And then we did it a couple of times and I looked up and I said, oh, these houses are appreciating. Like we have mm-hmm. money um, over time. I mean, it just blew my mind like how much money over time we accumulated through appreciation. And yes. we weren't buying the property. I said, oh, someone else is buying this for us because someone else is living in the house, they're paying the mortgage. Plus, mm-hmm. we have some extra. Now, I'm telling all the good part. Obviously, there are always pros and cons to everything. So, I do want to be transparent that we had mm-hmm. some horror stories with real mm-hmm. estate. Like, we had it, it did, which was very hard for me considering my background, and also, you know, people that trashed the house. You know, we've had we've had those things, but we've had more positive experiences with real estate investing 
been negative. And uh, we've also been able to offer housing to people who have been discriminated against. You said, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about race, uh, there are people that um, have been like there's gentrification going on all going on all over where people are getting pushed out of their their homes and their communities. There are people who are denied affordable housing. There's people who have housing and they have slumlords who won't fix, you know, fix things like they're supposed to. So a lot of the people that live in the homes that we have are people that have been denied mm-hmm. housing from others. And they've been, sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it does that, but it's mm-hmm. gone well more than it has not. You know, and thank you for pointing that out because one of the themes that I see here, one of the things that I love about my business right now is helping OT entrepreneurs grow and scale their businesses. And yet one of the downsides is that people begin to have a panic or a learned helplessness or a, I can't do it without somebody showing me how to do this. And that is not true because I figured it out and you figured it out. (laughs) And you just went step by step by step. And I love how like, so, you know, there was a a human that came and and at the right time presented you with more of a proactive situation, right? More of a plan, Mm -hmm. pulling together all this visionary Tomiko calling brain and got you into more of a planning phase. And yet you weren't at that point going like, we could invest in real estate, right? Like it was also, oh, well, we could do like, there was some forward momentum and some planning as well as you know, reacting to what was around you. And you talk yes. about that as opportunity. And I really want OTs to hear that because you're not Tamiko and you're not Trish and that's okay. Right. You're not behind if you don't have the world's best plan. Now, Tamiko has some incredible skills. She has incredible skills of being a visionary and of leaning in and asking questions and seeking opportunities. And I mean, talk about grit. And, you know, all of these things, And so do the listeners. So Mm -hmm. I really just want to underscore that, that there's no 100% right way and no 100% wrong way. And, you know, Tamiko can say she believes more in this and I can say I believe more in, in that. And yet, please, those who are listening, don't let this stop you. No. Take a step forward. I'm so glad you brought up Advanced Magazine because I was in the States at that time and I read the back too. And you can't teach people how to do that, Tamiko. Like you can't teach them, now find the opportunity here. Now just try this. And my story was very similar. I just like had a kid, single parent, decided to create a business. It was going well. People asked me how I did it. You know, it's still step by step. And so thank you so much for illustrating that. And I hope that you're with me when I do that passionate call out to people. Don't get caught up in, well, I don't know it all. I need to know what A to Z is going to look like. No, you don't. Yeah, you're never going to know. Go. Exactly. B, A, B, C, <laughs> you're never going to know everything. You need to yeah. be consistently learning and exactly. seeking out um, seeking out knowledge. And you can do that in a lot of different ways, like listening to your podcast and listening yeah. to other successful entrepreneurs, reading books, going to conferences. Exactly. Um, there's so many different ways to continue totally. to grow, but I still make mistakes. Oh I mean, gosh! Still don't do everything right with like we're in a we have a offer right now on a property with four homes on it, and we've been held up for four months because it's we should have done a better job with our due diligence related to a septic inspection. We've never done a septic inspection before and just hadn't even thought about it. But with this property being older, um, I called it. I put a post up yesterday on the Facebook group. I called it. I got the hookup septic tank <laughs> because <laughs> they. 
I don't know who did the second tag, who put the lines in, but there are some questions about it being um, done correctly. And if you want to replace a septic tank, you have to, you know, go through the county and they have to decide whether or not the land can um, support it. And if they say no, then you could potentially have land that you can't do anything with. Um, so we're learning, <laughs> you know, we're learning. And we're, the next time that we want to invest in an older property, we will, in addition to getting the um, regular inspections that traditionally people get, we'll also do the septic inspection yeah. in the county. It's a great, it's a great example of growth mindset and just continuing to move forward, which I think is really important. Because we know, I know that some of these conversations can be very inspirational and to other people, they can be like, well, I'm out. Like I can never do that. And that's not the point. That's and not the point. And the point is, problems. right, for sure. But it's also that you can, again, take steps. You, you know, I, I've said yes to so many things. I remember getting a call from a school and they were like, hey, uh, do you want this contract? And I was like, sure. How many, you know, how many children do you need seeing? Because I was in peds. And they're like, oh, about 45. Can you do that? I was like, absolutely. Hung up the phone. I was like, oh, uh, I guess I have to hire somebody. Like literally, right? So you just lean into opportunity as opposed yeah. to, you know, having fear. Okay, I have a question before we begin to wrap up and that's about organization. So my heart is beating fast as a person who does ops, but I'm not great at ops. Like I'm a much better person at visionary and I'm also actually really good at synthesis. But from a processor or an operations point of view, this is giving me a rash and a heart attack. <laughs> so who is who does that for your like for your investments? You mentioned a financial advisor for your, you know, for your family planning, for, you know, organizing all the businesses. Like tell me who grounds you in ops. I could do a lot better, but I'll tell you what we have now. So with uh, Low Vision Rehab Solutions, Morgan is my co-owner, um, and she is complete opposite of me. She is a operations person. So I come out with all these ideas, and she's great at organizing. And so that's why I feel like I feel like probably we're even conservative with projections because we have a better uh, infrastructure because of her. Um, and then we have admin. Um, but I would definitely attribute like a lot of um, organization, the low vision rehab solutions to having her to complement my skill sets. And with therapeutic solutions, my husband is similar to me. So that's not great. You know, it's a lot of power under one roof. <laughs> if you see sparks coming out of Tomiko's house, you know why. Yeah, we have a lot of ideas. We hired an admin. And this is the most amazing thing. I don't know if he would, oh, I want him to listen to this. His name is Razy, like Jay-Z. He's like, he's the original. His name is Razy. And he has an MBA from Duke. And he is very organized. And he um, he's doing it, our admin work part-time right now. And hope he stays forever. But if he doesn't, we need someone like, like him. Mm-hmm. For... Um, Gosh, the other things, real estate investing, we have a property management company. Mm-hmm. And so that has been amazing because for a long time, like I said, we would just, we can't rent, sell the property. So we rent it out and then we just were messy with how we kept up with things. I mean, we had a track record because they would give us checks or a money order. 
So we knew what revenue came in and we always paid out a certain account for um, expenses. But that's they would call us if something mm-hmm. needed to yeah, be fixed or whatever. So mm-hmm. with the property manager, we don't have to do that. We are somewhat involved just by choice at times because we lived in um, many of the houses, mm-hmm. but we don't have to be. So the property manager, you can go into the portal, you can see your direct deposit, you can see any expenses. I think if it's over a certain amount, they'll call us and say, do you approve, you know, like if it's an HBC or something like that. Um, for other things that I do, gosh, consulting and coaching, I've limited it. Mm-hmm. And I'm focusing more on products because I realized that if I'm going to be teaching, which you cannot leverage, you can't leverage uh, academia. Exactly. <laughs> I, lo- I love the innovation. Which I is why it. I'm not in it anymore. <laughs> you cannot leverage it. <laughs> it's different. And so knowing that I wanted to you know, teach entrepreneurship and being attracted to the innovation for, for time, I have limited the consulting and coaching. So. I only take a few clients, but of creating products. And so some Fridays, I may record a video. On how, do you, how do you contract with this agency or how do you get a federal government number? And I write and I love writing. That comes very easy for me. Mm-hmm. So that, and that's, it's pretty random. I may just say, oh, I'm going to write, I'm going to write 50 pages and I can do it pretty fast because I, I write and I, practical way kind of like how we're talking is conversational and what's the other thing we talked about educating we talked about mm-hmm. writing oh billing insurance we have a biller mm-hmm. who does the billing um and then we meet with that person once a week we actually met with her this morning we go through all the claims and just see if there's anything outstanding or that has been denied and if we want how we want to proceed after that, we look at our AR and things like that. So I do have some people to help complement. I think um, I, there was a SWOT analysis done on the company some years ago, and one of the weaknesses was failure to have enough support for all mm. the different things that I like to do. Mm-hmm. So there are opportunities like right now in therapeutic solutions that are well below their potential mm-hmm. because I don't have the I haven't hired a team mm-hmm. and I sat down and say, hey, I should get a team for this. Like there are people mm-hmm. asking for specialized consultative services. So if you're in the U.S., that's a high demand area where OTs can get reimbursed outside of the traditional healthcare system mm-hmm. to consult for um, with people who have development or intellectual disabilities. And I have a contract, but we haven't really leaned into it. I have an mm-hmm. OT saying, I want to do it. I want to do it. And I said, well, I need someone who can manage it. Mm-hmm. And I've not sat down and taken the time to do that. So I do think there are some things that are under potential that don't have the mastery because I don't have the time. So absolutely. What you're describing is a true visionary who also knows that it's who, not how, and that ops are really, really necessary. And when you're working in the business and when you have so many ideas, that can be a place to improve upon. And I'm so glad that you're so... Uh, insightful on that too, right? Because so many people need that support. I think a lot of people that are listening are going to resonate with that. Mm. Um, So, and again, you know, I love the way that Tamiko says it with no shame. She's like, yeah, we could do better with that. Yeah, definitely. Good to know. Okay. So we're going to jump into some rapid fire questions at the end. Okay. Are you ready? So the first question is, Tamiko, 
What is your biggest personal splurge? This is so funny that this is what my personal splurge is, but it's doing stuff to the house. And so we do have a, you know, I talked about the first house that we had and then going to the really, really big house. Our house now is, is large, but it's an older house. Mm. And so I am an HGTV fanatic. So I look at it, yeah, I watch it. When I have time to watch TV, I usually watch HGTV or something really silly. But a lot of times HGTV, and then I take the ideas. I'm like, okay, this is the next thing that we're going <laughs> to do to the house. So I probably spend uh, a good amount of money on the house. I'm not high maintenance with like clothes and and things like that. Okay, what's your next project for the house? Give us the scoop. Right now, I'm actually trying to get a sunroom. And I had a person come over to do an estimate. I had to tell him to to leave politely. <laughs> because he came in and he said, it's going to be $200,000. And I said, that's a house. And he said, <laughs> I, I said, I said, are you serious? He, I said, that's a house. He said, it's a, it's going to be big because our deck is really, really big. Mm. And so I want the whole deck to turn into a sunroom so mm. I can entertain and I'll be able to go in there and go sometimes. And I said, yeah, it's a big room. Big room does not equal house. <laughs> and so I said, so if you're going to, if you think I'm going to pay you $200,000, you might as well pack up and head out because I'm going to get with someone who's more reasonable. But that is the next project, to create a sunroom with high ceilings and lots of windows. We literally, our lot is like in the woods. And I used mm-hmm. to hate it when I first moved because there's so many trees. I said, like, we should cool a lot. But now I really like it. Like I'm look out the windows and see that I'm in nature. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a lot of windows in the house. So the sun oh, that sounds dreamy. You got me in my feels on that one. Oh, that sounds divine. What about paid help in your life? So not in your businesses, not people that you've hired, but in your, you know, family, house, day-to-day life, where do you have paid help? Uh, I have someone who cleans every week because I don't like to do it, (laughs) to be quite honest. Even if I have the time, I do not like uh, cleaning. I don't like a lot of things that I guess traditionally people would say that women in the mm-hmm. past have, you know, roles they've taken on. I'm not interested in. Was in that hard to hire a cleaner when you had experiences as a young kid <laughs> with your grandmother cleaning houses and you feeling very uncomfortable no, with that with your schoolmates? Was Did that give you pause? I, I, I think I, well, I thought about how I would treat the people mm. and so we have I have a good relationship with the people who who clean and I wanted to I actually gave them more than what they said mm. that they asked for their salary mm. I asked for a quote and they gave it to me and I didn't think it was fair and so mm-hmm. I gave them more and the relationship that I feel like is positive for I will say for my husband he was like are you what you want somebody to clean out <laughs> He was. He couldn't believe that that was even going to be a thing. He said, we're going to be sitting in here and people are going to be walking around in our house, cleaning our house while we're in here. We're going to be paying them a bill. You know, like, this is a bill we're going to be paying. <laughs> and I said, yes, because I don't want to do it and we can afford to do it. And my time is worth money and I mm-hmm. have ideas that generate revenue. So mm-hmm. this is a good ROI to pay someone to totally. keep the house clean. And also it makes me feel better to come in that my house is mm-hmm. not... Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets bad in here sometimes. <laughs> I've been here with three other 
males that I don't want to throw them under the bus. I'm just saying that I, we needed, <laughs> I wanted to look presentable. <laughs> and so that has been well worth the money. And the other thing I want to do is I don't like to, I don't like to cook. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want a chef. And again, people are looking at me in my circles. I, I was even called lazy, Trish, oh. when I said that. I said, I want someone to cook the food, healthy food. And I said, that sounds so lazy. Like, do I cook? Like, I don't like, I don't like to cook. And if I can afford for someone to be able to make healthy meals for me and it frees up my time and everybody likes to eat it, what's the problem? Well, and you've always been good in math and that's just good math. <laughs> that's it's different math. math. It's different math. It's really <laughs> yeah. good math. I'm, yeah, yeah, we have that. Older son is home right now. He actually had um, a surgery, and we've been paying him to help out some with our fourteen-year-old. Mm, um, trying to think of other things that we have paid help. Oh, we have someone who does the yard. Mm-hmm. So we have a person that does landscaping, helps with the grass, and some of the projects that I mentioned that I do at the house, you know, I realized that I am not the best person to do them. Mm-hmm. So I use uh, TaskRabbit. Mm-hmm. So that's a platform where you can just go in and find someone that can do like random projects. And I have someone, his name is the uh, the Rainbow TaskRabbit or something like that. But he, I've been using him a lot. Like He puts together furniture for us Perfect. and just do different odd jobs in the house. Perfect. What great examples. Okay, last one. If I could wave my magic money wand and put seven figures, an extra seven figures, into your business, you can choose whatever one. Right now, what would you spend it on? I would probably spend it on admin team for probably both companies. Both companies could go deeper with more admin. I would also increase salaries. So uh, some of the contractors, that the amount we pay is capped because it's we bill insurance. The contracts are more lucrative, so we're able to pay them a higher salary. We have a contract, but for the insurance billing, is capped. And it, it really, to me, is not, I don't feel like it's, it's the best, the most fair compensation for the work they do and the value that they bring. And then I would uh, create scholarships, more scholarships. So I started very small scholarships this uh, past year, but I would do larger scholarships because I think it's like three hundred thousand dollars I guess what does it take to start them down it's at three hundred thousand so I'll probably start that well I can't wait to watch <laughs> I'm sitting here cheering you on and I'm just so very grateful that you chose OT and that you are such a leader in our community and you know a vision not just for yourself and your family but what's possible for all of us and Boy, what a treat. If people want to follow you along with you, where can they find you, Tamiko? I'm most active on LinkedIn. So just Tamiko Faison on LinkedIn. And I'm on IG and Facebook as Tamiko Faison Wealthy Woman. Uh, I am on the struggle. I'm on a struggle bus with those platforms. I just kind of play around with them. But you do probably see more of my silly and silly self on those platforms. I also have a Facebook group, the OT Entrepreneurs, that you're very familiar with. And where else? My website, TamikoFacing.com, that's where I'm putting the products now. So there are are a few courses. There's a course on real estate investing. 
for some contracting with group homes, contracting with um, the government. Uh, the books are up there. There's a book on independent, uh, 10 Simple Steps to Independent Contracting. And then I have a new book that should be coming out by the end of this month on um, multiple streams of income. So these mm-hmm. seven streams of income that I talked about, mm-hmm. uh, I talk about in the books. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having this platform because I love talking about money and I think that more OTs need to talk about Me it. Me too. Pushing, Me too. Me too. Pushing OTs to be um, more open to getting paid and paid well. There we go. This has been OTs Get Paid, recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. I'm Trish Williams. If you have feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time. 